Hi everyone and welcome to the Parama podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. It's really great to have you all back with us again and um, I am very excited um, for this episode and this little series that we're starting. Um, and we're going to be talking about a lot of things. We're going to talk about grief, we're going to be talking about mythology, superheroes um, and Lots of things in between that um, over the next few episodes, um, and I'm delighted that my guest for these episodes is um, my friend Amanda Held Opel. Welcome back to the show. It's so good to be back, James. Thank you for having me. I uh, I always love having you on the show because we I always feel like we've got a lot of common ground in the, in some of the things that we talk about and have but yet have different perspectives on it, which is. Um, which is really good. So um, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, yeah. And especially because it's characters that I really love talking about. So, <laughs> Well, yes, and I am here to be educated because um, I love mythology. I love shared stories. I love... Um, I love the concept of the hero's story arc, all of these things. And yet I will say, I've told you this before, I am not an avid fan of the superhero world. I'm the kind of person that will casually go to the movies if my friends are going to the movies to see a Batman film or see, you know, whatever, Justice League, whatever. But I'm not an, I'm not an avid fan. And you are the only person in the world who has given me any sense of interest in this stuff. And I realize as I've kind of follow your tweets and your reflections on kind of this world that actually these characters are in some ways our modern day folklore, our modern day folk heroes, our modern day mythologies, these shared stories that we absorb together. And so I'm like, okay, I need to pay attention to this. And there's one person that can help me do this. And it's you. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow, what a compliment. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, that's why I love these stories, I think. It's because, like, and I've said this on other podcasts that I, where I've talked about these characters, but these these characters, um, the, reason, the, the reason that we love them, I think, the reason that people love them is that they can they can resonate with them. They there's elements of their stories that they connect with. That, yeah. And it's normally their humanity, which is ironic because they're superheroes, right? But it's just it's it's the it's the kind of conflicts that they deal with. And often they're relational conflicts or personal conflicts or or and a lot of a lot of superheroes, it's they've been through some kind of trauma because most superheroes have been through a form of trauma, right? Um yeah. Uh, the number of superhero stories where there's either a broken relationship with a parent or the loss of a parent or the loss of a loved one, you know, which kind of pushes them to become who they become, like, um, is, um, yeah, it's profound. There's a lot of them. There's, there's a lot of them. Uh, you know, with Spider-Man, you've got Uncle Ben, right? With, with yeah. Batman, with who we're going to talk about today. Um, you've got his parents being... Murdered in front of him when he's eight years old, right, or twelve years old. I think it's one of those two. Uh, and you, uh, with Superman, like in some Superman stories, not all of them, but some of them, um, his he loses his father when he's when he's still very young. So, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories. Um, Iron Man, like, right? he doesn't his his father doesn't doesn't um, doesn't 
get killed in front of him or anything, but he has a difficult relationship with his father, um, who dies before he becomes a before we meet Iron Man. And all and a lot of his journey is about resolving that relationship, like and you know, and trying to figure out like you know, why his dad was like he was and all of that. So yeah, there's a lot of uh there's a lot of um you know grief involved in um in the yeah. superhero world and trauma and a lot of us experience that and I think that's and these people become who they become not despite what they go through but as part of the process of healing. Like um and that's very true with the first character we're gonna talk about. Um Batman. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Batman, but if people don't know it. Yes. Um, pretend, let's pretend, James, that there are some people listening to this story that are like, or to this podcast that are like me and they're kind of novices. They're kind of like, okay, I think I have general idea. Sometimes I get him, I get his backstory mixed up with others, you know, so let's, let's pretend like you're introducing, if you could give the three to five minute introduction to a novice, I think that would be great. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so there's this, this person called Bruce Wayne. He is the son of a billionaire. Um, his parents, he comes from a rich family, old money. You know, they're very, very wealthy. One of the richest families in in the world. Uh, and um, when he is a young boy, he goes, he goes to the theater with his parents. Um, um, and uh, on the way home from the theater, his parents are robbed and shot dead um, in front of him. And he is just left there sitting by their dead bodies, basically. Um, and, of course, that's a very traumatic experience. And uh, he resolves then to fight crime, to stop things like this happening again, right? Um now, like, there's one movie called Batman Begins, which is, I think is the best. I think that's a definitive origin of Batman in the movies, so I recommend that to people if you haven't watched it already. It's that is one. Movie. That is one I think I have seen. So I've not seen them all, but that is one that I have seen. Yeah, that's a definitive origin of Batman for me on on screen. Anyway, not in the comic books, obviously, but on screen, that's the def- definitive origin. And in that story, he initially wants to just kill the man that killed his parents, and then that doesn't happen somebody else kills him um before he can and then he kind of has this wake-up call of like maybe revenge isn't the best idea um so he what he does basically is disappears um he travels the world he travels the criminal underworld he learns about what being criminal is like he learns about uh he trained himself as a as a, te- as a detective uh to become the best detective in the world this isn't covered in batman begins as much um, and he trains himself physically to learn, basically to kind of all the all the martial arts, everything. Uh, but beyond that, as well, to become one of just basically become one of the best people in the world at what he, uh, at all of those things. And then he comes back to Gotham, his home, Gotham City, um, which I would which you could argue is kind of a a modern day like a comic book version of Chicago where you've got a lot of mob, where the mob is kind of quite strong and there's lots of corruption and all of that. And he comes back and decides he needs to take on a persona to fight criminals, right? And, and 
because he's always been afraid of bats. And um, he goes down to this cave underneath his house because he's lived over this massive mansion that's got this massive cave underneath it, and there's loads of bats there. And it just inspires him. And he says, well, I'll become a bat. Um, and then he uses all the he uses all the resources at Wayne Enterprises, uh, that you know, the company that his family's wealth is built on, and he he uh, becomes Batman. And there's one person at Wayne Enterprises who knew his parents, um, um, and uh, uh, called uh, called Fox, right, Lucius Fox, and. There's all this technology at Wayne Enterprises, like including like the body suit and all the gadgets and everything, which were invented as like weapons <laughs> and never used. Which this is in this, this is in the movie anyway. And he takes all this stuff, including like the body armor and everything, uh, and turns it into his bat suit, basically. Mm, yeah. And then he, and the mask and everything he puts that on, and he goes out and fights crime in Gotham as Batman, right? Um, on his own and. Uh, in the comic books, he eventually takes on a sidekick, Robin, um, who helps him fight crime. And there's been there's several been several Robins. Robin actually himself lost his parents. Um, the first version, anyway, Dick Grayson, his parents died. His, his he was the son of uh, of people who worked in the circus on the Trapeze Act, and they died when like criminals cut the rope because oh, they wow. were. And so he saw his parents die, and Bruce Wayne was saw it happen as well, so adopted him, and then he ended up becoming Robin. So that's that's kind of the Robin story, and there's lots of different Robins in the comics, but I won't go into that because it's a, it can get a bit confusing. So uh, now in the movies, like Batman is well, so well, not just in the movies, but it's very clear in the movies that Batman is like the vehicle that he uses to express his his grief. He's like a different character when he puts on the mask. So all yeah. like the anger, the rage, the grief, the you know the all that kind of thing just comes suddenly comes out when he's in that in that mask. It's almost like when he puts the mask on, it gives him permission, you know. Uh, um, yeah. And he's. I think I personally think his journey is at the first he has to he has to become Batman. He's almost like he is almost is Batman to start with because. He's not free of Batman. Batman almost controls him in a sense. It's like you yeah. can't not be Batman. And the whole journey of Batman is that, in the, certainly in the, in, the, in the Dark Knight trilogy, which I think is a great character arc for Bruce Wayne, is is actually learning that is, and this is tackled in other movies as well, actually, that that, that, that of, of not having to be Batman, but choosing to be Batman. Yes, this as sense in, of... I, I don't... Yeah. Almost like a sense of agency that you have over your grief and how it impacts you and what it makes of you that not that you have complete and full control over it, but that you have finally some sense of agency to use it in the way that it needs to be used as opposed to it, uh, it using you. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. And that's, that talk, as somebody who's lost parents as well, I, I resonate with that. It's um, this is even more clear actually in the recent Batman movie called The Batman with Robert Pattinson, which is kind of takes place in Batman's second year. Um, so it's not an origin story, but you can see at the beginning of the movie, 
it's he's, it's full on rage. It's full on anger. Like he's just beating people up. Yeah. Um, and trying to scare them. And yes, he wants to rid Gotham of crime and all all of that. But like, there's a. It's kind of a. It's not. It's kind of not that methodical. It's kind of out of control a bit. And he still has boundaries. Like he won't kill people, which is a really important part of Batman's character. Actually, he won't kill mm. people. Mm. Um, he has he has boundaries. He has moral boundaries, like that he yeah. won't cross, and uh, which kind of separates him out from his enemies, right? Um, yeah. And um, but look in this movie, he's kind of he starts off being like he calls himself Vengeance at the start of the movie, like I am Vengeance. Like everyone's seen that. There's a trailer where that's that's like, like the big thing, I am Vengeance, and then. I will give. I'll probably end up giving away a bit of this movie, but like as the movie goes on, he almost loses his his butler Alfred, who's kind of like his father figure. He kind of brought him up when his parents died, so they're very close, and it is like a parent, like a parental parent child relationship almost. Uh, and he obviously he knows that he's Batman and has helped him be Batman, right? So yeah, but he almost dies. And they'd, they'd had a big falling out before this, but he almost dies. And then Bruce has this moment of like, I didn't realize I could feel this way. Again. I didn't realize I, I, I would be scared of losing somebody again. Ah. But I was scared of losing you. And then they have this moment where they make up and he realizes like, ah, this is not about just my vengeance. This is about yeah. like, um, yeah, it's kind of a big moment in his character arc. And, uh, and then he goes out again as Batman and, his enemy uh, in the movie is the Riddler, right? Who is basically just blowing up corrupt politicians. So they're not good people that he's killing; they're bad people. Yeah. But he's doing it because he thinks that's the that's the that's the that's the way to stop bad people. And then he actually meets Batman in prison. Like he says, "Well, I'm just doing this because this is what you were doing. You you inspired me." Like he thinks he thinks he's on the same side as Batman, right? And yeah. And this is like a big moment for Batman. He's like, is this what I'm inspiring people to be? Like, uh, and then one of the Jokers, one the Joker, sorry, one of the Riddler's henchmen comes to fight Batman in like the finale. And, and he says, I am vengeance. And Batman is there look, and he looks at him and he's like, he just like has this like, whoa. Ah, uh, yeah. This is what I was doing, isn't it? Like, and it's just, and again, and, and, and just after that happens, he literally, almost sacrifices himself to save save these people in this building which is kind of being flooded so he he goes and takes this like um flare and literally there's this amazing shot of him leading people out of the water to safety and it's it's like it's such a profound moment because he's He's no longer just trying to avenge people. He's no longer just being vengeful. He's yeah. actually saving people. And at the yeah. end of the movie, he has this little monologue where he talks about like how vengeance doesn't doesn't change the past, um, and that he wants he needs to that people need hope. Yeah, and they they need and that you know that I'm a scarred person. This city is scarred, and I can you know that maybe if we if we process these scars, we can learn to. Uh, have the courage to fight, you know, to have the, the courage to survive, kind of thing. And it's like this. I felt so hopeful at the end of that movie, and it was—it's a Batman movie. You're not meant to feel hopeful yeah. at the Batman movie. Yeah. 
And well, so, and I I love that's, the that's image. kind of Bruce's story is yeah going from like just vengeance and rage and pure raw grief to like how can processing this grief transform me and then make me be a symbol of hope for this city, which is yeah. also scarred and hurting and you know going through stuff. So I love kind of the image. Story. Of, I love the image of him leading people out of the water because water is so often used as a metaphor for grief or chaos or uncertainty or um, uh, fear. Uh, there's so much about water that feels uncontrollable. And so mm-hmm. it's really cool that, that that's the space that he's leading people out of, even as he's stepping in some ways out of his own kind of the chaos of his own grief in a more, I guess, kind of, I don't want to say manageable form of grief, but like he knows his grief now. He knows what it's done to him, how it's transformed him and how he needs to go forward, you know? Yeah, it's a powerful story. And I I, uh, I rewatched the Dark Knight trilogy recently and it really is like a three-act story. Like um, when it wasn't made, it wasn't, the, the, the funny thing about that trilogy is it wasn't planned as a trilogy in advance. They made each movie individually without thinking of a sequel. and But it turned into a great three-act story, like uh, the story of Bruce Wayne, basically. Yeah. Um, and I actually, at the end of The Dark Knight Rises, which is the third movie, I've never felt so satisfied at the end of a character arc because it was so brilliantly done and it was so right, like what happens at the end of the movie um, where he finally is free. Yeah, and no, the Batman, he is no longer Batman, and he's living his life anonymously, like he's happy. Yeah, yeah. and he has this moment with Alfred, who sees that he's happy, and like it's just, and some passes the the mantle of Batman onto somebody else. Yeah, and it's like a, and it's just like the, it's like the completion of his story, that, that as in like my grief no longer controls me. Yeah, That's I am, right. I am a master of I am, not. I suppose the master of my grief, I have processed my grief. I have worked it through. Yes. And I have found myself um, and within that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in hearing more from you about this kind of origin story of the loss of parental figure early on. And I've been watching a lot of Disney movies lately because I have kids. I've got a four-year-old who's just now getting to a point where she's watching movies and things like that. And so, oh boy, I feel like that could be a whole podcast series is like millennials processing the Disney movies they watched as young people. Because there's some stuff that did not age well, let me tell you. But, But beyond that, um, I've noticed that in a lot of these Disney films, almost all of them, the main character has a, either one or two parents missing. The, the parent is not there because of some tragic accident uh, or or sometimes we don't even know why they're not there. But there's a missing mother figure and a strained relationship with the father or both parents are missing and they're being raised by an evil stepmother, whatever the case may be. And it's just this theme I noticed over and over mm-hmm. again. I, I heard somewhere that Walt Disney actually lost his parents. Have you heard this story? No, I don't know this so story. Walt, Walt Disney, when he was, so this is when he was grown. Um, apparently his parents, 
it was all he ever wanted to provide a nice home for them once he kind of made his millions as Mr. Disney, you know? Uh, and so he, he bought them a really nice house in a nice neighborhood. They were getting older and apparently there was kind of a gas smell of some kind in the house. His parents called and I think he may have called the fire department, something like that. But whatever the case may be, it was either dismissed or it wasn't addressed soon enough. And his parents died in this horrible accident of a, of a gas explosion and in the home that he had bought them. And so I've heard some people theorize that maybe Walt Disney had a real... Um, was really inclined to tell the stories of orphaned children, um, particularly those maybe who wish they could have saved their parent, uh, wish they could have um, had that relationship with their parent. So I think I think it's just an interesting. Every grief is so different, right? Like losing a spouse is different than losing a parent. Losing a parent to illness, maybe they don't pass away, but you lose who you knew them to be because of illness or, or maybe it's a family divorce separation, whatever you lose the, the, the normalcy of the relationship you had losing a child versus losing a parent. All that to say, I think what's unique about a child losing a parent is the, just the feeling of security and safety in your most formative years being rocked to the core Mm. and how that impacts you in your life going forward. So it's really interesting to me that this Batman character had that experience of, of trauma and loss, losing his most important security mm. space of security at such an early age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it does, it really does affect him. Um, he's very lucky in that he has Alfred. Alfred is, Alfred is a fundamentally good person. Um, he's kind. He is, honest he um he's one of the only people that bruce wayne trusts bruce wayne doesn't trust many people um and you know uh, i mean the bat the, the the alfred in the, the dark knight trilogy is i think the best alfred of all it's played by michael Caine, and he is absolutely brilliant him and christian bale have, have this great chemistry and it's yeah. very much a father-son relationship and, yeah um and his concern all along is, how can I protect Bruce? Like, how can I? Um, because ultimately, we find out in the end that he didn't want him to be Batman. He just wanted him to go and escape and have a life, um, and just live anonymously away from Gotham and just forget what had happened. Yeah, and be happy. Um, and ironically, that's what. And yeah, he finds that in the end. So that's good. Yeah. But, but he never wanted them to be Batman. But he'll help. He helps him because because he understands because he cares about Bruce and he understands why this is important to him. Yeah. And, uh, and he's a big part of Batman's world. Um, and he's kind of like the heart of the Batman story in a sense. Um, he's kind of the soul of, of the story. Like, and without without Alfred, Bruce probably wouldn't have would have probably gone off the rails completely. Right. Um, and might have even become a villain. You know, it's, yeah, um, yeah. it's kind of that, he's kind of that moral guide and that heart that Bruce needs. Um, so he's a very important character. 
So I want to hear your opinion then on like, what is it that's different between say a Batman character and a Riddler character? What it, who is the one where their grief transforms them into the hero versus the grief that transforms them into the villain? Yeah. It's an interesting one that because in that, in the Batman, the, the, the movie, the Riddler is an adopted child who lost his parents, but he is in poverty. Right, so he has nothing. Um, and so he is he is not treated well. He is not nurtured. He is not looked after properly. Um, and like doesn't have a moral guide. Doesn't have that. Basically, is like downtrodden by society. He's in a part, yeah. he's kind of an oppressed person in society. Um, and he's never processed his grief, and it's he's definitely got. I, I, I want to be very sensitive here, like um, in the movie. Certainly, he's not. There's elements of like being um, a psychopath. Um, like um or sociopath um in his in his personality um and so that that's an element of it to be honest yeah but he he has somehow convinced himself that the only way to get justice is by killing people and doing it in a horrible way like torturing them yeah he thinks like a lot of villains and this is a really interesting concept as well like the the hero and the villain um what is a villain is he thinks he's doing the right he thinks he's to be a hero yeah yeah i'm i'm killing all these corrupt politicians who have taken money from criminals and have lied to you and are not acting in your interest i mean and you know politicians are can be corrupt so he sees himself as like a hero and for some people he is a hero like yeah. he's got this little group of this little following who think like he is, he's the deliverer of justice, you know, for oppressed yeah. people. Yeah. Um, now, you know, which is really interesting because I, one conversation I love to have is like, we talk about heroes and villains and this is a very binary concept, but actually yeah. when you do, when, for me, when I've done my deconstruction and my grief work and all of that, it starts to help you see that there's actually a bit of nuance here. That, that That's a very binary yeah, they're very binary concepts, but actually, there's a bit of, and we see this in Star Wars a lot as well, because there's the Sith, and there's who is like evil, and then there's then there's uh, the Jedi who are kind of uh, good, you know. But yeah. they're all about they're all about certainty. They're all about rigid rules and structure and stuff. And then the people, then on the other side, there's like the the Sith where. You can express your emotions. You can talk about your emotions, but it's all in a negative way. And yeah. then, but then there turns out to be this like middle ground called, which is like grey. Yeah, where you're allowed to express your emotions. You're allowed to have attachments. You're allowed to have relationships. You're allowed to process emotions. Um, and you don't have to stick to some rigid code. Yeah, you can still be a good person. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of. That's the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker is that he needs to be in the gray. Yeah. Like he he lost he, he had to leave his parent behind when he was eight years old and then ten years later she died and he saw he saw her die. And he never had a proper parental figure apart from Obi Wan yeah. Kenobi, 
who was really almost to be his brother rather than his father figure. Yeah. And so so he didn't get parented properly and he was brought up in this rigid code which yeah. he felt which like he had to fit into. And it had it was either that or the Sith. There wasn't like yeah. a, and he had all this grief and emotion that he was dealing with. Yeah. And nowhere to process it. So in the end, he gets so afraid of losing his wife and losing her, the children that she's carrying, that he turns to the dark side in order to get some kind of control. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's the tragedy. When actually, if, he, if he'd had therapy, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. some kind of, and he had someone who could guide him to like this gray area in, in between, he wouldn't have fallen yeah. to the dark side. He wouldn't have become yeah. evil. And that's kind of the tragedy, like that that he that he that he wasn't evil to start with. He was yeah. made evil by circumstances and by mismanagement of his grief, yeah, and his trauma. Like, and that's off. That's that can be a villain story for a lot of characters, right? That, yeah, that they had a trauma and they didn't deal with it well, and it wasn't handled well, and they thought that, and that they so they found like that like control. Um, and vengeance and all of these things are the only ways that they can process this stuff and they yeah. become villains. Um, yeah. And so there's like, and Batman actually kind of skirts this a lot. It's like, because some people call Batman a vigilante and that he's outside the law and like, is he a criminal or isn't he a criminal? Like, <coughs> and the Batman kind of explores this a bit as well. Like this kind of, like this kind of gray area of like, where is Batman in this area, in this area? And where is yeah. and what is the difference between him and the Riddler? Yeah. They ultimately want to achieve the same ends. Like yeah. they, both want, they both want to end corruption in Gotham City. Like it's just that Batman has boundaries and he won't cross them. He won't kill people. Yeah. Like, yeah. The Riddler doesn't have those boundaries. He doesn't have yeah. any boundary. He just like he will just do what is necessary. And yeah. it's a really interesting concept. And it's yeah. It is. I think that that question of the the binary of the the hero and the villain, when it's really in some ways a spectrum of the like we all we all have this like capacity for evil and good in us, and where is it that you kind of cross this line into harming other people and your and harming yourself versus serving other people and serving your own needs and, 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 and in a good way and, and tending to your grief. Yeah. I just, I think that there, this, yeah, categorizing people as either a villain or a hero is not, that's maybe not the way forward because grief can go one of so many directions in all of our lives, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's, well, the concept of the anti-hero is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like um, Deadpool is an example of that um, in many ways. I mean, because he's not what you would call a hero, but he's not a bad guy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of characters like that, which are, you know, you kind of like wouldn't be the traditional good guy, and but aren't the bad guy. Um, yeah. Uh, like I mean, it wasn't a great movie, but Black Adam kind of explored this a bit. Um, mm. uh, where he is historically, he is a liberator of an oppressed people. Yeah. Right, but 
Um, in the, in the, but White America gets involved and sees him as a villain. Yeah. Because they don't know how to deal with this kind of nuance of, like, well, actually, if you, his story backstory is that he was given these powers um, to liberate his people from being slaves. Yeah. Which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, but because of the trauma, he's kind of got less boundaries than what you call a hero. Yeah. So seen as a villain, right? Yeah. And so it's, 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 a, that's an, that's an interesting, an interesting concept. It's a shame they didn't explore it very well. It wasn't a very good movie, but, but that basic concept is really interesting because it's like, that's, like, how do you deal with a character that this is why Superman and Batman's relationship is always really interesting. We'll yeah. Superman in, I think probably the next episode, but because Superman is, is sincere. He is good. He is, he, he's idealistic. He, he will not kill people. He will not harm people. Like he yeah. is almost sincere to the point of naivety. Like he's, um, he's kind of a dork um, and just a generally good person. Um, who believes in people and believes the best about people, whereas Batman is complete is like almost the opposite. And yeah. so there's this, there's always this interesting dynamic with Superman and Batman of because they work that they're almost trying to do the same thing, but they have different ways of doing it. Yeah. And so they have an interesting relationship, and it's it's an interesting dynamic that they have because they have to. Well, they learn. I think what happens in the comics is they learn to grudgingly respect each other. Ah, yeah. And accept that. For where each of them are in the world, that the way that they do things kind of works. Yeah, yeah. And even though they don't necessarily agree with it all the time, they understand why they do it. Like, and and often they end up working together as well. Like, which is, and they end up like they end up helping each other hmm. a little yeah. bit. Yeah, which is that's why that that whole concept that I hope they explore this in in, in the upcoming DC movies as well. Like that this dynamic between Superman and Batman because it's this idea that they they fight each other all the time is not. Like that happened in one comic book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> most yeah, yeah. of the time in the comic books, they're kind of they're kind of allies, you know, most yeah. of the time. And um, so it's uh, but it's an interesting dynamic because they're very different characters. And even though both of them actually have been through the loss of a parent, it's mm-hmm. very they're very different characters. And so, yeah. Um, but we'll explore Superman in, a, in another episode. But it's um, yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, dichotomy. Yeah. I, the story of Batman reminds me of this um, this story from Celtic mythology that's not a very well-known story um, that I, I wrote about in, in my book about grief. And I was introduced to the story by the mythologist Sharon Blackie. Are you familiar with Sharon Blackie at all? No, I haven't. Heard of um, she's, she wrote this phenomenal book called If Women Rose Rooted. And it's a, it, she primarily focuses on the feminine mythology within... Um, Celtic folklore and um, she's from the British Isles and um, does her work there. And anyway, she, she tells the story of this um, young woman named miss M I S or Mish, I guess is how you would pronounce it um, yeah. in the, the Celtic language. Um, who's this, you know, beautiful young woman. And her father was this powerful ruler who went to fight. Um, he went to, I guess they were from Europe and they went to Ireland to invade and fight the famed warrior Finn McCool. You know, a lot of people, maybe not a lot of people in America, but if you have any kind of knowledge of Celtic mythology, Finn McCool is like, Mm. keeps appearing again and again. And we could do a whole episode on him. But um, 
But so I guess this big battle happened between Misha's father and Finn McCool um, in County Kerry, Ireland. And essentially Misha's father and all the warriors were killed, slaughtered on the beach. And she is this young woman who is searching and searching for her father uh, and finally finds finds him there um, slain on the beach and her grief in in her moment of grief she kind of shapeshifts and turns uh, kind of morphs into this wild creature um, with feathers and fur and claws like basically she just in as the story goes she her body rises up from the beach from her father's dead body and into the air and she just shapeshifts into this wild creature and flies off into the mountains and basically then haunts the mountains of Sleeve Mish, which is a real place in Ireland. And this is a story of those mountains. Um, but basically the story goes that everyone from that area was afraid to go into the Mish mountains because of this creature who had been so transformed by her grief that she she would tear apart anyone that came into the mountains and um, she could, you know, fly as fast as the wind and was just vicious and powerful. And all of this had, had happened because of her grief. And so they, I guess the surrounding kingdoms tried to figure out what to do about this for years. Like what, how do we take back the Mish mountains because she's terrorizing us. And what they ended up doing was sending in this young, gentle harpist, um, who decided that he was just going to seek her out and be gentle with her and play songs to her on his harp. And he eventually, um, you know, brought her food to eat. He took her over to the pond so that she could look at her own reflection and actually see what had happened to her. And, and eventually, as the story goes, they fall in love. Um, but but I don't think it matters to that it's a romance story. To me, it's a story of this gentle harpist that goes and loves this wild creature in her grief. And it is through love that she is transformed back. And it, it, she doesn't come back as the woman she was before. She's transformed into something completely different afterwards, but she's no longer terrorizing people. She's no longer haunting these mountains. Um, and oh. if you're okay with it, I'll read. Um, Sharon Blackie just wrote this really beautiful write-up about what grief had done to this young woman, Mish. She says, mm. sometimes um, madness seems like the only possible response to the insanity of the civilized world. Sometimes holding ourselves together is not an option. And the only way forward is to allow ourselves to fall apart. As the story of Mies shows, that madness can represent an extreme form of initiation, a trigger for profound transformation. This old story shows us a brutal descent into darkness during which all illusions are stripped away and old belief systems evaporate. And in doing so, it suggests that the extremities of madness or mental breakdown with their prolonged out-of-control descent into the unknown might offer us a path through which we can come to terms with the truth. And I, I just love that. There's obviously so much sensitivity that needs to be shown around either mental health, mental health and, and the impact that grief can have on your mental health. But I think she says, like, well, the beauty of this story 
I think what she's getting at is that it gives permission to fall apart and to go into that really dark, dark space and to see that and not as a, not as something that should be avoided, but that as something that actually makes space for the transformation that's needed. It actually makes space for the accepting of reality. Um, whereas everyone else was afraid of Mish, this gentle young harpist was not afraid and said, I will love you and walk with you through the journey of, of transformation. So what, what, what you're sharing that made me think of that is I think about this butler. I mean, what seems to be a difference to me between Batman and Riddler is an intervention of love and an intervention of someone who made space for, mm. for mm. the Greek. And that's why Mish was able to transform from this, you know, um, dangerous, violent creature back into a young woman again was because she was loved through it and seen and tended to as opposed to fought and um, opposed. Someone came alongside her. Um, I kind of see that in the Batman character is what made it possible for his grief to transform him in a way that was healthy. Yes, that's right. He was loved. He was loved deeply by Alfred and cared for, and brought up by him basically. And I think that that is that is that is his moral compass in a sense. Like that's yeah. his heart. You know, um, that's what balances him out. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting that in Batman Begins, um, the enemy that he faces up to is the person that trained him. Mm. Um, and this is a character played by Liam Neeson in the movie. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, called um, Ra- well, it's Raza Ghoul, um, and basically he his character is a contrast to Bruce's character because he lost his wife, mm. like his biggest, his great love, he calls her, and his whole and from that moment he's devoted his whole life to vengeance. Mm. So again, his the League of Shadows, who he leads, their whole idea is that they go around the world, they basically destroy societies, yeah, like purge cities, kill people, in order to deliver justice. Yeah. Right? That they believe they have a moral right to do this, and that this is vengeance, and this, this is mm. the way to deliver justice. And they try to, when they train Bruce, they say, this is like, this is... This is what it means. This is what this means. This is what you have to do now. Yeah. And then Bruce like says, no, no. Like, this is not how you do this. This is not how you deliver justice. Like, right. Um, and so he destroys the League of Shadows. But he saves Razagul thinking that he is, well, he thinks he didn't think he's Razagul at that point. He thinks he's Ducard. That's mm. the name he uses for himself. He thinks that this guy is still morally good. Yeah. But, or, or some, or somehow he won't, he won't kill the person that trained him. He has a like a compassion, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, he ends up becoming his enemy and going to Gotham, and like, and and that's Batman's big enemy in this movie. Right? It's almost like his own past um, is his yeah. is his enemy, um, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting like. So I, that's why that movie is really really good. I, I recommend that to everybody, especially people who are new to Batman. That's the that's the Batman movie to start with because that's that's his story. That's how he becomes who he is. 
Um, and it's a very good movie. I mean, Christopher Nolan is a great director, you know. And yeah. The cast yeah. is incredible in that movie. Like every, you've got Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Christian Bale, uh, Liam Neeson, you know, like Katie Holmes. They're all in that movie. It's, it's a, it's a great, it's a really, really good movie. And it's a really good origin story. And yeah. it's a good, good exploration of, of grief and how you how you process grief yeah and didn't Hans Zimmer do the music for some of these films is he yeah he did he did, he did the music for the the Dark Knight trilogy yes he did okay I'm such a fan of Hans Zimmer I'll, I'll watch any movie he composes yeah the music's for. brilliant as well yeah. Like it's um yeah it's great yeah uh yeah it's uh uh, it's very, it's yeah. It's, it's 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 to me, it's one. It's one of the greatest movie trilogies of all time. It's up there with Lord of the Rings, you know, and the original Star Wars trilogy is like the best one of the yeah. Best, uh, so trilogies. yeah. The other question I want to ask you, I have kind of a two part question, and just as it relates to stories that compel us and shared stories that we. So I'll ask one now, and then I'll ask the next one when we talk about Superman. But um, I think the first I want to hear your thoughts on is. Why, why does mythology matter and why do story? Because I, I'm kind of of a mind that these these shared cultural stories that we have, you mentioned Star Wars, right? You you mentioned, you know, whether it's superheroes, maybe um, Lord of the Rings, whatever the case may be. In fact, I think I've heard it said that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. It was either him or C.S. Lewis writing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Um Yes, but what I mean is one of them said this. It was either Tolkien said this about Lord of the Rings or Lewis said it about Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, yeah. but, right. but that they felt like um, Britain did not really have an, its own mythology. That other, you know, there's Norse mythology, there's ancient Greek mythology, there's some Celtic mythology. And obviously, like, there were, there are mythological stories that come from the British Isles, but he felt like there was a lack of shared mm. story. Mm. And so he almost wanted, and I, I'll have to look it up if, if it was Lewis saying this about the, 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 the story world of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or the Narnia series. Or if it was Tolkien about the Lord of the Rings story world, but that they and they, you know, those two hung out together, so they probably both felt that same way. But that yeah. they felt there was kind of a lack of this shared mythology. I've often felt that way about America too. Is that because we come from so many cultures? There's this kind of there's. I mean, it's it's a beautiful thing to be a melting pot. One of the challenges, though, is that this we don't always have the shared sense of identity. We don't necessarily have the same shared stories that draw us together. We tend to mythologize American history and make it look the way we want it to, where all the founding fathers were heroes and we dismiss the bits about our past that we don't like or that are shameful. But I, I think part of, part of our cultural confusion sometimes as America is that we don't know which heroes and, and stories to rally around to help define us and remind us who we are like mythology will often connect people to their shared history, their shared past, but also to the land that they live on. Yeah. Um, we have beautiful um, stories from our indigenous peoples here that are lost and ignored and not paid attention to because indigenous stories are so marginalized in this culture. But, but I guess I'm just saying, I'm, I've just been reflecting on what is, why are we drawn to, because I'll be able to tell you something and you might 
hold a grudge against me for saying it, James. <laughs> but sometimes I see like, oh, we got another superhero movie coming out or another iteration of the Batman story or another iteration mm-hmm. of the Spider-Man yeah, story. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, what? how many times can we tell this story? In talking to you, I'm beginning to understand because there's something that draw that there's something that speaks to the humanity in us. We see ourselves through these characters, and so we're hungry for more iterations and more yeah. um, perspectives on them because of that. So I just, how do you think these superhero characters are stepping in in kind of a modern Western in the function of mythology for modern Western culture? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, I, I genuinely believe that, that that superheroes are kind of modern modern mythology they play a lot of the same roles if you look at like historical mythological characters like um all the traditional ones that there's a lot of there's a lot of superman in one of them in some of them but there's a lot of batman in one of them like it's like it's yeah i i, I get i know exactly what you mean and it's it, it i think that they are for some people like from it's funny. It's interesting, actually. The number of people he he would call geeks or nerds or whatever who were into superheroes who are neurodivergent, mm. um, and or who have been through some kind of trauma. Yeah, right. Because um, we because we and the reason is that we identify with these characters and they almost become like our friends. Yes. Right? Like I mean, like I talked to I have this friend I talked to about Superman on Twitter. Who loves Superman as much as I do, and we call him our friend. He is. Yeah. There's a famous interview with Christopher Reeve um, from 1987, I think, and he embodied the character more than anybody else ever has. We'll talk about this in the, in the in the Superman episode. But he, so he was asked who Superman is, and he said he's a friend. He's mm. helping hand, like in the movie, the 1978 movie. When Lois asks, who are you? He says, a friend. Hmm. Right? So it's, and that certainly was the case for me growing up. Yeah. You know, and in many ways, my journey into Christianity was through Superman because there's, 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 there's elements of, there's elements of which are similar, you know, in terms of their character. Yeah. Um, you know, a friend, somebody who helps out, somebody who's inherently good, somebody who wants to do the right thing, somebody who cares about people, um, who wouldn't kill anyone, who wouldn't, you know, harm anybody. Like it's there's a lot of similarities between those two characters. Like, and um, and I think as a child, he was who I wanted to be, and he was also like a like a friend for me. Like, um. And he still is kind of a friend. I mean, like, I know that obviously he's a fictional character. I'm not completely deluded. I know he's a fictional character. But you still have relationships with these characters, right? And um, and one of the reasons I got, I, I was so upset and angry about the interpretation of Superman that we've had in the movies in the last kind of 10 years or so is because it was so far away from who the character is. Like, and when I see that, it just, it, it's, I always take it personally, you know, and when I see Batman killing people, you know, on the cinema, it's like, no, that's not, that's not who this person is. Like yeah. the whole point of being, of him being Batman and being a hero is that he doesn't do that and that he yeah. has boundaries. Like he's like, I, I won't kill people. Like I just, I will not do that. Like, 
Um, it will be that's the easy way to like if you want to stop corruption and crime, that's the easy way. Just kill yeah. everyone, right? Kill yeah. everyone who's bad. Yeah, that's what that's what the Riddler does in the Batman. He gets what yeah. he thinks, but actually, that's not that's not like that's not ethical. Like, it's yeah. not who gets to make those those most moral judgments about yeah. like who deserves to die and who deserves to live. Like, it's right, right. And then the Batman Batman doesn't doesn't do that, and the Superman either. Like, even though he's got the ultimate, Superman's got enough power to kill anyone he likes. Yeah. Do whatever he wants and get away with it. Nobody could stop him, but he doesn't. Um, and, like, and that's, that's, I think that's, if there's anything that distinguishes what, what we call heroes from villains, it's usually that kind of, they have that kind of code. Yeah. Like, I will not kill people. I will not. Some kind of a, there's a, yeah. there's a, there's a boundary that I will not cross at some yeah. point. You know, it's really interesting hearing you talk about your experience and I'll, I'll say your relationship with these two characters, because I think it's a very real relationship and that that you've had over the years is that with the Batman character, it feels like a relatability, like there's something in his story that mirrors your story. There's something in him that you see in yourself. Whereas with the Superman character, again, while there are things that you can relate to, it's almost as if he's more of an other of an ideal of a safety of a place you want to go, a place you want to be the, the hero that can help you. Um, and it's in, in that way is kind of yeah. different than you. And I think that that's, these are just some themes that I see or why, why heroes are so important and why, why stories where we see people with our same characteristics and same threads of meaning through our lives, but they live in a mythical world or they live in a magical world and they go through these kind of more um, fantastical transformations. It's like, it's like a picture of our life only um, kind of the um, technicolor (laughs) version of it. But in it, we see truths about our life and in it, we see truths about ourselves and what we hope to be and what we aspire to be. And I feel like that's, that's kind of an important function of, of myth is sh- introducing ourselves to ourselves through a fantastical story and imagining who and what we would be if we were in those circumstances with those powers, with those experiences, and in that way, shedding light on, on ourselves and, and our collective identity even. Um, I just think it's a really interesting interesting experience you have with both of those characters yeah absolutely and they do kind of represent two different parts of myself that's for sure i think one of the reasons that batman connects i think with a lot of people is that he is human he doesn't mm-hmm. have any power yeah. well yes and this and is that, something and, like, that if you be... had, and the idea of batman is like technically if you had the financial resources and the training and like the skills technically there's a you could be batman like that's that's part of, I think that's part of the attraction of Batman is that yeah. he doesn't have powers, but he, like, technically you could be him. Like, Yeah, and it took but, me a while to figure that out, to be honest with you, that I remember the day where I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, he doesn't have any powers? And it's like, he he does and he doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, it, and in some ways it's like his grief, his grief is his superpower. Like, it's such an odd, like, the, yeah. the work that it's done in him is the superpower. That's a, I've never... I've never heard that before, and that is very true. Yeah, yeah. He's like he's he's very intelligent. He's very well trained. 
he's obviously rich. He's got a um, he's got money behind him, and he's got mm. like access to all this technology and everything like that. He doesn't have to account to anybody, mm. right? Because of that, and so there is a lot of like. Um, yeah, you're right. But you're right, though. Like the thing that makes Batman who he is, in a sense, is his grief. And yeah, so yeah, that's really good. Oh yeah, like that. Well, right, I think well it, this is a this seems like a good end to like part I think so. one. <laughs> like a nice, yeah. like little break point. We're just getting into, and I think it's a good time to move into talking about Superman as well. We'll do that in the next episode. Yes, and I'm excited about that because Superman's my favorite character of all time. Batman. Yes, so come back, folks, because I have so many questions for James about Superman, and I'm so excited. So, tune in. Yes, come come back next week, and uh, we will uh, continue this 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 story. Um, so, thanks for listening, everybody, um, and we'll speak to you again next week. <laughs>